Welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast, everyone. I am joined today with Bardia. We've been trying to set this up for a little bit now, so I'm super excited to finally have you on. So welcome. Yeah, thanks, Haley. Great to be here. Yeah. So today we're going to be diving into something that I am super passionate about talking about, and I know you are too, and that's changing your relationship with alcohol. I think it's a hot topic, especially this year. I've noticed that the sober curious movement is on the rise, and a lot of people are just starting to explore a life without alcohol. And I could think of nobody better to talk about this with than you. So I'm really excited to dive into everything. And everyone's got a story with this journey. So I'm really curious to hear about your journey and what kind of led you down this stop drinking coach path. Like what was what was that journey like for you? I know it's a loaded question to start with, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, I appreciate you having me on and, and reaching out to to me to, to talk about all this stuff. Um, so yeah, my name is Barty Arez. I'm the Stop Drinking Coach. And uh, really looking back at my story and how all this stuff started, it really started like pretty much the time I was born. Like alcohol's pretty much been like the centerpiece of my life in some way, shape or form um, from the beginning. So I, you know, really digging into the story, I grew up in a pretty crazy, like super dysfunctional family. And my dad had a real major alcohol problem. He was an alcoholic. And um, that caused all types of dysfunction in my family from like emotional abuse and everything else that you could possibly imagine in a family where there's tons of dysfunction in, in alcoholism and addiction. Um, I kind of went through it and kind of experienced it. I grew up watching him drinking. The only time I knew him sober was like Saturday mornings. But other than that, he was drinking every single day all the time. And so, um, yeah, it was just it was really crazy. Um, when I turned 14, he ended up dying, um, and passing away from alcohol poisoning. He died in his sleep. He just drank too much one night. And so, um, that was pretty crazy. There's a lot of other details that I haven't really gotten into. I mean, between mom trying to commit suicide addiction with one of my sisters. So just all types of really crazy stuff, a lot of adverse childhood experiences. And that like affected me in a certain way where I think it, caused a lot of mental and emotional dysregulation inside me, specifically emotional, like not being able to handle stress, getting overwhelmed. Um, but on the outside, you probably wouldn't be able to tell. I was really athletic and I always, you know, kept my composure. But internally, I could tell, like now looking back, my nervous system was very dysregulated. Um and then, you know, I kind of get into high school. You start partying like everybody else does sophomore year. And pretty much the first time I picked up alcohol, I became a binge drinker. I was never the type who could just have one or two. The way alcohol interacts with my brain chemistry is as soon as I have one, a switch goes off and I have to keep drinking until I get to the point where, you know, I get super drunk or sick or whatever. And that's because of the way alcohol interacts with, with dopamine in my brain. For people who are binge drinkers, um, we feel alcohol differently than the normal person, quote unquote, normal person who can have just one or two feel the buzz, have complete self-control and stop like the dopamine response in my brain, the euphoria and the pleasure is really strong and it grows really fast, but then it drops rapidly. And that dropping feeling was, is what creates that compulsion for, to have another drink, right? So from the very beginning, um, I knew it was a problem. Beyond that, like right when my dad passed away, my uncle came down to help with the funeral and he gave me this book by this, the spiritual guru named Wayne Dyer. 
And the book was called, You'll See It When You Believe It. And I read that book at 14 years old and it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. It created a, a insane paradigm shift because that book introduces you to the concept of like consciousness and how your thoughts and your beliefs influence your reality, right? And I know you're really into manifestation, so you know all about this stuff. But I read that at 14 years old and it's like, dude, at 14, you don't really know your ass from your elbow. Like you think you do, but like you have no idea what's good. So this thing just completely expands my map of reality and really gets me fascinated with the whole concept of consciousness and personal growth. And so I went down this deep rabbit hole of like studying personal development and mindset and success and philosophy and spirituality. And like, by the time I was 19 or 20, I felt like I had read every major kind of personal development book, John C. Maxwell, Power of Now, like all of them. And so like, meanwhile, I had this alcohol thing, right? Like half of my personality was super oriented around personal growth and success and developing my mind and fulfilling my potential and becoming a better version of myself. While the other half of my personality was just stuck on this hamster wheel, groundhog day, reliving the same week of my life over and over and over again, just a fiend for alcohol, a fiend for dopamine. I mean, you know, I'd work hard, party hard, kind of like what everybody does in their 20s, right? And on the outside, if you looked at me, like I kind of had my shit together. I was in really good shape. Um, I was always kind of entrepreneurial. You know, I was starting marketing companies and I had a supplement company. But on the inside, it was absolutely destroying me because I knew that like every time I would take a few steps forward, I'd take five steps back over the weekend and I'd, you know, I'd binge drink and I would absolutely obliterate myself and I'd have a three to four day hangover, start feeling better Thursday, Friday, and then same thing, you know, and um, I was just stuck in that cycle and it was absolutely brutal, you know, because deep down every time I drank. Every time I woke up the next day, I told myself I'm never drinking again. But then, you know, by the time the weekend came around, I forgot about the pain and you were right back at it, you know, fast forward. Um, and so throughout my twenties, I probably tried to stop legitimately like five or 10 times. And the longest I went was like six months. Um, so I had been trying to do this thing. I tried AA a bunch of times. I did some therapy and like, None of it seemed to click. None of it seemed to resonate. None of it, none of it seemed to penetra penetrate through to help me understand what, what is actually good here with alcohol and addiction. Um, fast forward, you know, pandemic hits a couple of years ago and I'm working from home. You know, the world is in disarray. And I know for a lot of people, alcohol, like some people stopped drinking altogether, but a lot of people, when the pandemic hit, their alcohol consumption got way worse, and I was one of them. I went from drinking kind of three days a week, that was kind of the cycle that I was on, to drinking every single day, and the volume rapidly increased, and I got up to drinking four to six bottles of wine a day, and it was just absolutely brutal. Four to six bottles of wine and a pack of cigarettes a day. And, um, I did that for, I don't know, four or five, six months before I kind of had this rock bottom experience. And for me, that was, um, I was out drinking one day and a buddy of mine invited me to the pool and he challenged me to a race. And so we started racing. And at that point, like my body was so broken down from all the alcohol, um, like my body was hurting and I dislocated my left shoulder in high school playing football. 
and I was swimming super aggressively and my left shoulder like dislocated and it was the most painful excruciating thing that I'd ever experienced in my life. And it was out for like 10 minutes, just pure misery and agony and pain. And, um, and in that moment, I just, it just all kind of hit me, you know, it all came falling down. And, um, I was a few months away from turning 30 and I just went into some deep self-reflection and I was like, dude, this would not have happened if, if I, if I wasn't drinking, you know, like, and so the pain was real. It was visceral. I couldn't deny it anymore. I couldn't run from it. I couldn't, you know, try to just fucking weasel my way out or, or whatever. Like the, the pain was so real and I just kind of went into some deep self-reflection and I told myself like, I'm about to go into my thirties and I I've seen what alcohol not only had done to my family, but how it's limited me and my potential within my twenties. And if I really want to become the version of myself that I deep down know I'm capable of becoming, the only thing that's ever held me back from that is alcohol. So in that moment, I made what seemed like the absolute most terrifying decision I could possibly make. Um, and that was to quit drinking. Shortly after, I started working with this coaching company. And then I moved out to Austin, Texas. I became a coach within their system coached tons of people, led retreats. I mean, that next year of my life was the most profound transformational year that, I mean, I didn't even know that life could, could become that way. Um, worked with them for maybe a year, year and a half. And then once I left a few months later, um, organically stop drinking coach, uh, was born and, um, yeah, now we're here today. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> There's so much to unpack from from what you just shared. I don't even know where to start. Uh, I guess I'll start by saying I'm sorry about your dad. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, going through that. But I think you pointed out a lot of interesting things that I think not enough people are really talking about when it comes to alcohol abuse and using alcohol as a coping mechanism. And that's the dopamine response in our brains. And that's yeah. something that fascinates me, too. So can you elaborate a little bit on how you started to understand how that was affecting you? Like what made you want to dive into the dopamine aspect of using alcohol? Yeah. Um, so, so I didn't learn about the dopamine stuff until after I got sober. Um, but once I began to understand alcohol and addiction through the lens of neurochemistry and trauma, everything started to make sense. You know, I came from a background and in a family that was basically like pretty poor, not only financially, but like a very poor mindset, um, struggling with a lot of like addiction, a lack of resources and a lack of understanding. And so growing up in that like environment, that mental and emotional environment, the way they saw it was just like, dude, once you're hooked by addiction, you're fucked and it's genetic and it's there's nothing we can do and it's that it's just the way it is like it's this mentality of suffering and it's just the way things are and that like really rubbed me the wrong way you know because i dove so deep into this world of personal development and spirituality and philosophy and like evolution that i'm like no it's not just the way things are things can be changed right and so I started discovering, so like the book that kind of all sh that sheds light on it all is the book Dopamine Nation. And um, the author who wrote it, Dr. Anna Lemke, incredible human being, super insightful. And, and so 
yeah, when I read that book, it just, everything started to make sense, right? So let's dive in and let's talk about the dopamine response with alcohol and what all that looks like. So, you know, there's this really great video on YouTube by this neuroscientist and he's talking about addiction. He says the three most important things in life are food, water, and dopamine. And normally you don't hear that, but the way he describes it is pretty profound. So dopamine right? We've, we've got all these different neurotransmitters in our brain. And depending on the balance of these neurotransmitters kind of determines how we feel and how we operate, right? If you have too much dopamine or if you have too low of dopamine or too high of serotonin or too low of serotonin or GABA or oxytocin, it will affect basically how you interface with yourself, how you interface with the environment and how you feel. And so dopamine it's tied to this part of our brain called the reward center. And um, dopamine is basically responsible for our evolution. If it wasn't for dopamine, we wouldn't have evolved over the last five, six, 10 million years, right? So dopamine is secreted in our brain every time we have sex, every time we eat food, or we make meaningful progress towards something important meaning, uh, meaningful progress towards, let's say acquisition of resources or, or something that we deem to be important. So we get a little dopamine and this dopamine makes us feel good. It makes us feel rewarded. It makes us, you know, and, and higher levels of dopamine creates a sense of euphoria. So on average, we have about 50 nanograms per deciliter of dopamine in our brain. Now, if you, and that's like, let's say just when you wake up, now, if somebody comes to you, Haley, and they're like, you know, let's say you, you work a job, they're like, hey, you know, we have to let you go. Budget cuts. Like, imagine, like, what a curveball that is and how much that kind of depresses you. Like, you get, you get home, you're down in the dumps. Like, you know, you call a friend. You're like, I just got fucking fired. Like, it sucks, right? You, you kind of lose motivation to go do anything productive. You just want to sit around. So when that happens, if, if like life throws a curveball at you, it drops your dopamine from 50 to 40. It's about 10 points of dopamine loss. Now, if you are clinically depressed, meaning like verified clinically, and you can't even sit up out of bed, like you're just stuck to the pillow, your dopamine's at a 10. Okay. Now on the contrast, on the flip side, if you're having sex or eating your favorite food, dopamine raises from 50 to about 90 to 95. So normal human experience within what the last six, seven million, five million years of evolution affords us, which is like sweets, like, I don't know, sugar, fruit, and having sex, that raises our pleasure center, or activates the reward center about two times above baseline. Now, when you drink alcohol, it increases dopamine up to 190 to 200. So it's going 4x above baseline. So it's activating the reward center in your way, in your brain, in such a way that is completely unnatural and has not been part of our evolution for all of history. Now, what happens is the way dopamine works, because it's tied to evolution and it would only get activated during things that were deemed very, very important, like procreation and eating food and acquiring resources, which are tied to survival, right? That's the only time dopamine would get secreted. When dopamine does get secreted, it sends a signal to everything, every cell, all of your brain, and it says, repeat that behavior. 
right? Repeat, keep hunting for food, keep having sex. These things are good. Green light, green light, green light. But alcohol comes into our society like this Trojan horse where it goes in and it floods your brain with abnormal levels of dopamine. And as a result, it's sending a signal to say reinforce and repeat that behavior. But you're not doing anything to earn it. You're not doing anything to, you're not making any meaningful progress. You're just hacking this sensitive neurochemical system in your brain. Now, beyond dopamine, it also increases GABA and GABA makes you feel calm and relaxed when, when you increase it. Now, the thing about the brain is that it creates, it, it is always trying to maintain this level balance. It's trying to maintain homeostasis. So if you increase dopamine 4X above baseline, as you stop drinking before it comes back down to normal, it's going to dip down to the equal and opposite direction. So you're going to go, let's say negative 200 or whatever, whatever the number happens to be. And that's why the next day you feel like shit, you feel unmotivated, kind of feel depressed, right? Like your buddies are like, Hey, let's go do this. Let's do that. You just kind of want to sit around and chill. And then you also feel anxious because now GABA is also in a deficit as well. And so, with repeated exposure to alcohol, right, from your teens into your 20s in college and then into your late 20s as you're going out, you're partying, you're just kind of on this bar scene cycle, going out for brunch every weekend, you're drinking wine two, three, four days a week, right? Like what you're doing is you're changing the structure of your brain and you're, change, you're changing the balance of these neurotransmitters. And what happens is as you're pumping your brain with alcohol, with these absorbent amount of neurotransmitters, that's unnatural, your natural dopamine and GABA set point lowers lower and lower and lower and lower over time. It gets to the point where now you're just kind of always a little anxious. You're always a little on edge. Things don't seem that interesting or fun unless they involve alcohol. And you're always kind of looking for that next drink, or you're always looking forward to that Friday evening so you can finally de-stress and let go. Um, and that is what over time creates the cycle of addiction is this neurochemical feeding cycle um, as a way to escape a buildup of psychological or emotional distress that we haven't learned how to fully cope with and process. So, wow. yeah, yeah, it's just like, you know, I think it's so important for human beings to really understand what alcohol is and the role that it plays, not the marketing and conditioning, not the Budweiser commercials, not the people partying and having a great time and sitting on a beach, retired, you know, end game as you just chill out and drink like it's it's an incredibly harmful drug that negatively impacts so many different areas of your life. But again, it's like a Trojan horse because of the way it's conditioned and marketed to us. It's like, oh, it's harmful. You know, I would say probably half the United States doesn't even really consider people in general don't really think about alcohol like a drug. And it's like, that's a mistake. Yeah, that's it's really interesting to hear your take on just the evolutionary process of how we've developed and how alcohol is so outside of that natural dopamine hit that we're supposed to get. And I think for a lot of people out there that think in, in a logical way, it makes a lot of sense of why people become dependent on it if you just think yeah. about it from that standpoint. And I think back to your point, a lot of people don't view alcohol as much of a toxin. It's a toxin, it's what it is, and a drug, which is also what it is. And you pointed something out too in what you were saying that I think about all the time is just how normalized alcohol is 
in so many different settings from starting a party in high school. A lot of people start when they're in high school. College drinking culture is huge. It's something I think about all the time. It's glorified alcohol abuse, yet nobody seems to... It's it's funny if you black out, you know, it's it's cool if you can have more shots than everyone else when it's like and I think about it, too, from a developmental standpoint. I'm like, what are the odds that we're in a place in our lives where we're our brain is still growing and we're basically killing ourselves with this toxin and shrinking our brain in a point when it should be expanding? It's it's crazy. And even beyond that, in, in a corporate setting, I had a brief, you know, corporate world experience. I don't do that anymore. I'm obviously on my own now, but. Corporate drinking culture is huge too, like happy hours, booze readily available in the office every day after work, boozy brunches. It's just this, it's so ingrained in society. And I think a lot of people associate alcohol with not just, oh, I'm down and I'm upset, so let me grab a drink, but also I'm celebrating. It's the weekend. Mm -hmm. I've looked forward to this little small shred of time that I have to myself, so I'm just going to get wasted so I can have fun and then I'll be hungover for the next few days. And I'm not saying that to judge anyone because I've been in that cycle before too, and I'm sure yeah. you have. And it's, oh, it does feel like a hamster a wheel. Time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I know some of my content like comes off aggressive sometimes. Like I had, I just had this video that hit, I don't know, it's like six, 7 million views on TikTok and like 1.5 on Instagram. And I'm like talking shit on the bar scene and calling it low mm-hmm. vibes. But it's like, if you know me, like that's, there's no place of judgment in any of my content. Although sometimes like stuff might come off that way, but the way and approach that I think about it is like, there's gotta be somebody who's totally on the other side of the road yelling out to remind people to like kind of wake up. Right. So it's like, dude, I've been to a thousand different bars and like that was Mm -hmm. God for me. And it was all I looked forward to at one point. But I think as you grow and as you evolve, your consciousness and you awaken and you heal, you begin to realize that just going out and spending your time, again, just literally taking a poison that's going to have adverse consequences the following days is probably not the best way to spend your time. But if you enjoy doing that, dude, don't let me rain on your parade. I'm purely here for the people who have discovered that this relationship to the substance is no longer working for me. And I've discovered that I'm really tethered to it. Like it's actually hard to stop, even though I want to, I don't know how to do it. And so it's like, I'm here for, for those individuals. But at the same time, I like to, to, to throw some, throw some, uh, controversy. Yeah. Throw some controversy out there to like, to just get people to like wake up and reflect, like pause for a second, you know? Yeah, I think it's super valuable to do that. And I've, I've noticed too, whenever I post about anything related to being alcohol free, a lot of people get very, very defensive. A lot of people get And free. it's like, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just stating a fact, right? Of like maybe alcohol is a toxin, whatever the case may be. And I always think to myself, if you're getting that defensive over something, regardless of what it is, maybe that's a point of self-reflection that you need of why am I so defensive over this? And I think it's honestly just the collective societal almost brainwashing that we've had of the glamorization of alcohol. I mean, ads that you see, movies, TV. Totally. Everything. Yeah. I mean, from the moment we're born, we're being marketed and conditioned. Every show that we watch, every hero is always drinking. The main character is always drinking. And it's like the way it's marketed to us and delivered to us, right? One, there's no education around addiction. Nobody's looking at addiction through a neuroscientific and trauma-informed lens. 
people barely know how to manage their own state of consciousness and regulate their thoughts and feelings and emotions. Now you're you're throwing addict like something as complex as addiction into the mix, which is super complex, right? We're talking about trauma, all different types of trauma, like self-awareness. And it's like, and so what do shows and movies and media and culture, right? I'm like in my content and I'm always like, alcohol is the drug they use to keep people numb and distracted and people mm -hmm. lose their mind. Who's they, who's yeah. they, what, what are these conspiracy vibes? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, they is media. They is the people delivering content to you that is influencing you without you realizing it, right? All the shows that you love, the movies, the Netflix series, right? And they show two people, they show the person who can drink and just handle the shit, right? Is just always life of the party, but always drinking, right? Like Mad Men. They're drinking and smoking in literally every scene, but they're the most elite advertisers and they can still think super clearly while being basically intoxicated 24-7. Like, that's not accurate, yeah. you know? <laughs> and then they show the person who is problematic and is drinking out of a brown paper bag right and it's like yeah. okay that person clearly has alcohol use disorder or is suffering from a, a deep level of alcoholism and so because the way our brains are wired and we understand ourselves through others and it's this projecting feedback system of data coming in we're like oh well as long as i'm not that guy as long as i'm not the guy drinking out of a brown paper bag my alcohol use is fine. At least I'm not waking up and drinking at seven or I'm not drinking at noon or I don't keep it in the house, right? There's literally like a million and a half rationalization somebody will use to try to justify their drinking, even though deep down they know it's like there's something here. This this is potentially problematic and limiting me from my potential. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to that notion of it's not a black and white matter of like you said, a lot of people think, oh, well, I don't have a problem because I'm not, you know, a homeless guy drinking out of a paper bag at 6 a.m. or whatever the case right. may be. There's a lot of different ways that it can manifest and it can kind of slowly creep into your life. Like yeah. I kind of relate to you. For me, it was never I was never somebody that could just have one drink and be fine. And it still kind of annoys me when people are like, oh, well, why don't you just learn to moderate? Like just have one. It's yeah, like, yeah. that just, that doesn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and for me, especially during my college years, it was like the hamster wheel of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, everybody mm -hmm. went out and it wasn't just one drink. It was like, we're drinking to get like fucked up each night, you know? Yeah. And then being hung over and then the hangover anxiety, that was something that I really struggled with. Hangxiety for, for those yeah. of you that are familiar with that. And having it wear off. And then finally Thursday rolls around again. And it's just that cycle. But once I got out of that college world and it kind of coincided with when I started exploring spirituality, like you had mentioned. And mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting because a lot of people I've spoken to seem to reflect on their relationship with alcohol when they start kind of exploring consciousness and how your thoughts shape your reality. So you said that came first for you, right? Kind of Wayne yeah. Dyer, I think you said you started reading. So what was the point for you where you started putting two and two together that alcohol was maybe bad for your spirit? The moment I had it immediately, I knew, you know, but yeah, I, I, I knew it immediately because I saw what alcohol and addiction, like alcohol killed my dad and my dad was the person I was closest to in my family. And so I lost the one thing that I had any sort of like I mean, of course, like I had my mom and sisters, but like I had a relationship with my dad. I didn't really have a relationship with them. Um, and so I was like, dude, this shit is fucking 
the devil. Like it, it fucking, it kills people, you know? And so every time I drank, there was an insane amount of shame and guilt that came from it. Cause I'm like, fuck, I told myself I was never going to do this, but I was such a fiend for that dopamine. And this is why alcohol and addiction is so baffling is because my conscious mind logically knew that what I was doing was fucked up and wrong and that I shouldn't be doing it. And that I have this whole vision of fulfilling my potential and like creating this life for myself. But neurochemically, I was imbalanced. My nervous system was dysregulated and I didn't have tools to cope with the cravings, with the intense stress, with the frustration and the overwhelm. And so alcohol, like, again, it's, it is, you're going to something that is a Trojan horse. It gives you the illusion. It's like, it's activating this reward center in your brain, 4X above baseline. It's like, imagine having an orgasm and doubling that. That's what it's doing for your, for your brain. And so it's like, that's hard to, to not go near when it's, when it's, it's like, and then beyond that, it's like 15 years of basically like emotional neglect or what it felt like trauma, a lack of connection, a lack of safety, right? A lack of confidence, right? And then all of a sudden you discover this thing that floods your brain with dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and finally makes you feel present and loved and safe and connected and relaxed. You're like, dude, this is the best thing I've ever fucking found, you know? So it's this weird dichotomy and that's why addiction is so tricky and why it's such a personal and spiritual journey and why it's such a personal evolution because one has to confront their own mortality, their own spirit, their own consciousness, their own purpose, their own, what is my place in the universe and why am I here? And what is going on with this thing? Like you, like, that's the thing. It's like, I've, I've got clients and I've, I've got all these things that I'm doing, but I can't, you can't go into somebody's body and brain and soul and spirit and force them to stop. It is entirely a, an evolution of their, of their own consciousness, of their own spirit in learning how to manage their mental and emotional system. I mean, I feel like that's what we're doing here as human beings. Like that is the journey. That's why we're alive for a hundred years in the, in the school to learn how to manage your mental and emotional system so that you can develop more and more agency, tap more and more into your personal gifts so that. You know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs so that we can begin fulfilling our potential and, and helping others grow. I like what you said about no one else really being able to make a change for you. And especially with something like this, it has to come from within you. I know for me, there, there was no way that anybody else could have started this alcohol-free journey for me aside from myself. I had to get to the point of self-reflection to say, this doesn't serve me anymore. This doesn't have a place in my life. If I continue to have this in my life, we're going down a dark path. And that's basically the point that I had gotten to. And I know it's a different journey for everybody, but um, the last night I drank was at a, a Zed concert and I had a glass of champagne in my hand and I held it up and I just had this intuitive feeling. I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. I was like, why am I doing this? And that was the last drink I ever had. I put that cup down and I was like, I think I'm done, but I'm like, I'm just going to try a dry January, see where it goes. Yeah. And I realized how good I felt. And I realized how much more my intuition was strengthening too. That's something else we can mm. talk about too, is just like the spiritual experience of getting rid of alcohol. But 
it was undeniable for me. I was like, there's no going back at this point. And I made a promise to myself. And, and ever since then, I've, I've been on this journey. But it's, it's not like that for everyone. And I totally understand that. But I'm curious to see if you've had, if you've experienced at least a heightened sense of intuition or just like a stronger sense of connection with the universe, the divine. What has your experience been with that? Yeah, for sure. In so many different ways. Um, I'm more connected to myself, like more connected to my own intuition, my gut, um, the trust that I have for myself, the love that I have for myself and the trust and love that I have for this, I don't know, three dimensional existence, this thing I'm inhabiting, this universe is stronger and deeper than it's ever been. Um, and I mean, I've been, I've been. I've spent like the last 15 years, like putting in the work, even though I was drinking, like I was still like, my mind was there and all I needed to do was, was to remove the alcohol and it all just came crashing down fast. Like, but in a positive way, like the, the connection to myself and to the world and to the universe and my ability to like tap into my gifts and embrace who I am. And like, it just, it happened very quickly and it doesn't happen very quickly for everybody everybody's got their own journey but dude alcohol it's energy is it's just so toxic it's so poisonous like you it's so it's really like it's impossible to truly connect to your gifts your intuition your authenticity like source when you're drunk it's like i mean they say like the Arab word al cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it, it's, re- it's a representation of like evil spirits because when you drink alcohol, it lowers your vibration and allows dark energy to get inside you. And that's why you see people who drink will black out and they'll, you look at their eyes and it's not who they are. And they'll just do things that are so unfathomably like outside of their character. And it's like, I mean, I don't get super deep into dark spirits and stuff like that, but I mean, who knows? Um, yeah. But yeah, removing alcohol from your life significantly increases your ability to tap in and truly connect with whatever you want to call it, source, God, energy, creator, you know? Yeah, it definitely hinders that ability. And I I talk a lot about more of this woo-woo stuff on here. And I I have some theories about, not even my own, but some people say that when you're blacked out, it's a, it's a spirit possessing your body. I don't necessarily know if that's true, but I certainly wouldn't write it off. I think there's a lot in this universe that we don't understand. But sure. regardless, if you're drinking and you're trying to connect with your intuition or you're trying to really keep yourself grounded and centered, I don't think that those things can exist at the same time, at least in my experience. Yeah. And if you find that you are, you do happen to be somebody who's very spiritual and you are making good progress in your spiritual evolution and and journey, or you are happen to be somebody who is like pretty successful and like has kind of got their shit together and high functioning or whatever, just watch what happens when you remove the alcohol for six to 12 months. I mean, beyond like it is, it is more profound than you can begin to imagine, but you have to be proactive and like, and remove it long enough to allow the true benefits to come through. I think that's something people get tripped up on is they'll try it for a week or, you know, a few days and they think that's enough. And I, I try to remind people, give it time, 
give yourself time. Also, don't be hard on yourself if you find it very challenging at first to completely go cold turkey. Obviously, that's not the best course of action for a lot of people, but give things time. I For me, it wasn't until I kept it a secret for like the first six months because I was there was there's a lot of. I think shame and embarrassment yeah. around sobriety, which really it shouldn't be, you know, as stigmatized as it is. But for me, I just didn't feel comfortable telling people that at first because I was afraid of the judgment that I might receive. But it wasn't until six months for me that I started becoming outspoken about it. And I was afraid. I thought people were going to judge me and say, oh, this girl's got a problem, whatever. But it was actually the exact opposite. Once I started yeah. speaking out about it, I had people from high school and college messaging me like, hey, I've been going through the same thing. I'm so glad you know you, you spoke about this because not enough people do. So uh, if you're listening to this and you feel like you've been on that hamster wheel, you are not alone. Like, And I'm sure you can agree with that. There's plenty of other people out there who have been in your position and who are in your position. Yeah, I would say like if you go to Google and you look up the number of people who have like alcohol use disorder, the statistics say like 12%. And I'm just convinced that those are wrong and those are underreported. Okay. When I had a major problem with alcohol, I never filled out a survey. Nobody yeah. came and ever asked me. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of people like that. I would say it's probably closer to like a third of people really struggle, but put on a face and aren't just talking about it because of the fact that again it's just this sh like the culture and the narrative and the conversation around this stuff is so behind right like people still think that like if you can't control your drinking like an individual like me that it's I, I, you're weak-minded or you're not strong enough or you have no self-control and it's like you just you don't understand the neurochemistry you don't understand addiction right? If it was that easy, everybody would just do it. And men the, the world of mental health wouldn't exist. Therapists wouldn't exist because if somebody's sad or depressed, you, 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 they would just, well, get up and go to the gym. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, there's, there's a little bit more to it than that, you know? Like, yeah. um, so yeah, it's like have no, even though it feels like something that you, that you have shame around, like understand you're, you're just definitely not alone. And, um, if you do develop the courage to take that first step in finding a way to stop drinking, like you'll be met with a tremendous amount of support and there's so much community, especially online. Maybe if your friends don't support you because all your friends are just party people or whatever, like, trust me when I say that there are literally millions of people online who understand and get it, who you could tap into and connect with. Yeah, that's exactly how it was for me when I first stopped drinking. None of my friends were in that. They were all still partying. And I felt very alone at first. And this was end of like it was New Year's Eve 2019. So it was right before the pandemic hit. And this was kind of before, you know, this movement really took off. There's a lot more people talking about it now. But back then I was like, well, I didn't go to AA. I don't really resonate with what that is. I'm just looking to change my relationship with alcohol and I don't want to drink anymore is there anyone else out there who's also in this position? And I started searching on the computer. I was like, let me just search alcohol-free people. And I found people on Instagram. And that was something that made me feel so reassured on my path because I did feel pretty alone with it at first. And if you are someone who feels alone, if you're just starting out with stopping, connect with people on social media. Shoot me a message. I don't care. Like, 
Um, yeah. There's so many people out there who are willing to support you. And if you take the step to connect with them, I think you'll feel a lot more supported and encouraged in your journey to know that you're not alone and there's nothing wrong with you. Like if you're yeah. looking to, to make that healthy change. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I think it's very empowering. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was just going to say that like, not only is there nothing wrong with you choosing to live alcohol free in the society and the world that we live in is a power move. Not everybody can do it. And if you are the type of person who has the mindfulness and self-awareness around your connection to yourself and your future and your potential, and you, you have the self-awareness to understand that this substance is only limiting you from being the best version of yourself and you develop the courage to take forward progress there, that is a power move. The ability to be fully who you are, substance-free, learning ways to cope, learning how to mentally and emotionally regulate and no longer running towards the bottle. That is a major, major power move amongst a sea of people, amongst a major population where everybody's turning to the same substance. You know, you read it in every like personal development book from every billionaire or whatever, say, look at what the masses are doing and do the opposite. And again, no judgment here. If you struggle with alcohol, you love alcohol, you hate it, whatever. It's just like, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you got to call it for what it is. Alcohol is a drug and it has a lot of negative consequences on your brain, on every aspect of your mental, emotional, and energetic operating system. And you may not see it in the moment, right? Like in the moment, it's coming in like a Trojan horse. It's making you feel the best you've ever had. It's helping you numb, cope, escape. But, um, with repeated exposure and use, it really starts to chip away at, who you are, your time, your resources, your energy, and your potential. It's sneaky in that way because Super all the sneaky. things it promises to give you, right? Confidence. If you're someone like me, I used to struggle with social anxiety. And so drinking was a big social thing for me to just be having something to kind of take the edge off. But then the next day, what comes? The hangover anxiety and you feel anxious all day and terrible. And it's like all these things that alcohol is promising it's going to give you it's taking away from you. I don't even know what the word for it is, uh, but it's, it's sneaky. I guess that's, that's the word I'm thinking of. Yeah. And so the question becomes all these things that you're using alcohol for can all be solved, right? The anxiety, the social anxiety, the lack of confidence, the feeling of not feeling comfortable in a group of people, not feeling confident within your own voice and the way that you communicate, like whatever you're using alcohol for, if you work with a, the right professional coach or therapist or counselor, if you address it at the root and solve the problem at the root and then begin optimizing mentally and emotionally, you will grow and evolve and mature as a person. And once you get to a place where you start to develop a sense of connection to yourself and harmony and homeostasis within your consciousness and body, you regulate your nervous system to start to feel more calm and safe. You have tools on your tool belt to manage your thoughts and emotions so the world isn't so hard and overwhelming then you just begin to realize like why would i pour poison into this profound supercomputer which all it is doing is trying to keep me alive all this system and machine is doing is trying to heal me it digests my food it beats my heart if i cut myself it mends the wound like this thing is just trying to keep me alive and i'm just pouring poison down it because i haven't learned how to manage the debilitating thoughts and emotional patterns 
So you can never win the game against alcohol. You can never out drink the alcohol. The more you drink, the more you disrupt the sensitive balance of the neurochemistry, digging yourself into a deeper and deeper and deeper hole. So the solution then is to abstain from the alcohol and identify what's the driver. Why am I drinking? What is it about you know, alcohol? What is it doing for me? Is it creating a sense of safety inside me? Is it helping me be more confident? Is it helping me open up? Well, beautiful. If it's possible with alcohol, it's possible to be done without the alcohol. But that's where your personal evolution comes in as a human being is learning how to overcome your social anxiety, learning how to regulate your nervous system, learning how to be more confident, learning to improve your communication skills. And that's the key, man. It's like alcohol is the distraction towards your personal evolution. And as you begin to wake up and realize that, that alcohol is a way to, to veer off track temporarily, it just all starts to make more sense. Yeah, that's so powerful what you just said about um, alcohol being the thing preventing you from your evolution. And it's interesting too, because when you take it out of the equation, it forces you to face yourself in a way that you may not have been able to before. So for me, it was like it forced me to face the social anxiety thing and my confidence issues and not having it in the equation anymore was what helped me gain a sense of confidence. So any area of your life that you think you're using alcohol as a Band-Aid for is an area for you to examine where you can kind of do some healing. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, why else are we here? You know, we're here for 100 years. And ultimately, I think we all just want to evolve and grow. We all have goals. We have an ideal. We have an aim aim about who we could be, what our life could be, what success looks like for us. And um, yeah, it's like alcohol kind of gets in the way of that. But if you're not tapped into those things, if you're overly focused in on the present moment, if there's a lot of trauma from the past, and it's even hard for you to think about the future or to create a projection and have an ideal about who you are and who you could be, then alcohol ends up being the best solution because now it's just managing the pain in the present moment. So I think even beyond all this, what's super important that I know you advocate for is developing a growth mindset. You know, I think like there's probably a decent part of the world that still hasn't really gotten into the whole world of self-development. It seems super common and like it's everywhere, but I don't know what the percentage is, maybe 20%, 30%, 40% of people just still haven't dove into that world of like mindfulness and developing a growth mindset. And I think that is, is super important to have if you want to be able to create a good life for yourself. Yeah. Diving inward. I think there's a lot of people who haven't even thought to do that and not even at a fault of their own. Maybe you're just caught up on the hamster wheel of life itself. Yeah, But there's a wealth of knowledge within us if we take some time to sit back and think about our tendencies, think about our patterns, what we can learn from, what we need to heal. And yeah, I think it can be really powerful to to work on yourself if you if you give yourself space, as you said, to just see if you could change your relationship with alcohol for a period of time, if you decide however long that is. If you're somebody who's already on this self-development path, you already have a sense of self-awareness, you're already privy to the fact that there's more to this reality, right? Than just like you said earlier, oh, it's just the way it is. And that's just how it's going to be like, that's, that's not how it is. And there's a lot of science now that's backed that up. I mean, quantum physics, you know, Tesla, Einstein, all points to there's more to this reality than we know. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you, you vibe with what's being said here, like 
take some time to think about how what role alcohol plays in your life and where it's fitting itself in. Is it fitting itself in in the social anxiety setting? Is it fitting itself in as a way of celebrating, as a way of dealing with depression? Whatever it looks like for you and everybody's different. Yeah. Yeah. And a really good exercise is like grab a pen and paper and draw a line down the middle. I used to do this a lot. And on the left side of the paper, play the tape forward on both ends. On the left side of the paper, say, what is my life going to look like in one, three, five, or 10 years, or even 20 years, if the role that alcohol plays in my life continues the way it is, but only gets worse because it always does. Alcohol in the way that it interacts with our neurochemistry is progressive. So every time you drink, it's creating a little bit more dependency in the way that it's augmenting your neurochemistry. So play the tape forward. If I continue drinking the way that I am, where am I going to be in five, 10 or 20 years? And be honest with yourself, right? Imagine the role of alcohol slowly but surely creeping into your life more and more and more. On the right side, write out, okay, if I no longer drank again, or if I, depending on who you are and what your relationship looks like, I mean, if you, if you have alcohol use disorder, you're probably, you're, you're better off getting rid of it completely. Like if you're a binge drinker and you can't control it, but if you're a moderate drinker, let's say, who's just slipping into drinking a little bit too much, play the tape forward and imagine where would I be in five, 10, 20 years if alcohol was no longer an issue, I was no longer tethered to it. I wasn't wasting all that time in the evenings and the weekends drinking. Who could I be? You know, what's my potential? What could I accomplish if this thing was no longer holding me back? And look at that. Look at that contrastive analysis and and just see that, you know, how making one simple decision, I mean, not simple, simple, but not easy yeah. um, decision could completely alter the trajectory of your life in, in a way that you couldn't possibly imagine. That's a really powerful exercise for putting things in perspective because I think sometimes people get caught up in the instant gratification of it of like, oh, but I want to go out tonight and I want to have fun and do X, Y, Z. But if you play the tape forward even beyond just the day after, right, you'll deal with a bad hangover. That's a given. But playing it beyond that, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've read The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, yeah. but it's like those little things that you do each day eventually the train tracks are going to veer off and you could be in a completely different destination. So what does it look like with three years of saying, I'm not going to have a drink today could lead you in a completely different place than if you were to say, Oh, I'll just have one drink tonight. And then you're in a completely different place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. And I think that that's where wisdom comes into place is being able to take the 10,000 foot view and see things, how they're going to play out before they actually do. That's, that's a skill set is to be able to see that. Yeah, that requires a lot of patience and consistency too and um, working towards that goal, kind of keeping that in perspective because it's hard sometimes when you have a goal that's so far out. But if you remind yourself each and every single day of the why of what you're working towards, healthier mindset, healthier life, healthier body, healthier brain, it can kind of yeah. make it a little bit easier for you to get to that end goal. Yeah, it's delayed gratification. Yeah. Which and in I this think... day and age is, uh, we're so used to that instant. I mean, look at Instagram likes, dopamine hit, like right. instant gratification of fast food, whatever it is. Uh, mm -hmm. It delayed gratification is is an act of rebellion, I think, in our society now. Totally. And that's why like, I've got several videos where I'm like, people who quit drinking ultimately oftentimes become very, very successful 
because alcohol serves as a form of instant gratification, either through the instant pursuit of pleasure or the instant relief from pain, right? You don't have to self-regulate. You get stressed out. You want to alleviate boredom. You go buy a six pack, you buy a bottle of wine, right? And, um, when you remove the alcohol and you no longer have that form of instant gratification that really changes the way that you feel, you're forced to confront your feelings and to move through them and process through them. And when you no longer have that alcohol multiple days per week, then you're kind of forced to learn how to delay that gratification. And um, that begins positively pouring into different aspects of your life, which, like you said, over time, the compound effect t- kicks in and six, 12, 18 months later, your life is totally transformed. Yeah. There's really no other option other than self-growth. I've never heard of anybody that's stopped drinking and given it up and said, oh, my life got a lot worse now that I stopped drinking. I've never, I've never met anyone that's had that experience. It's out of like 50,000 comments on my TikTok. There's probably been like 10. Yeah. And it's like, well, you probably did absolutely nothing else. You took a very reactive approach. Yeah. You know, you didn't read a single book. You didn't mm-hmm. hit the gym one time. Like, yeah, well, of course, yeah. you know, proactivity is super key. And I think that's, that's where, where I come in as a coach is, is rather than taking a reactive approach, I take a, and I've built a system that is super, super proactive, which actually makes the journey profound and incredible and amazing. So what is, so what is that approach? Like you said, it's proactive. How yeah. is that different from yeah. a reactive so, approach? So it involves, and by the way, I've got a call that I'm already late for, but we'll, oh, okay. I'll run in like, <laughs> like another few minutes. Okay. Um, so it starts off with a, a deep self inventory of past, present, future to just get clear on all aspects of the human, the past, the present moment and goals. Um, and then it, it involves a really proactive lifestyle transformation plan that's really focused on developing self-awareness, increasing pain and stress tolerance, improving mental and emotional regulation and teaching new ways to cope and manage psychological and emotional overwhelm, um, as well as increased mindfulness and self-awareness. That involves a total expansion of consciousness in terms of our map of reality on how the human operating system works, how the brain works, how the emotional system works, and different tools to manage and navigate that process so you develop more agency and control over who you are. And then it involves um, a lot of just kind of course and reading material that, again, expands the map of reality in terms of, um, you know, psychology, addiction, neuroscience, dopamine, trauma, healing from trauma, healing the inner child, um, and just kind of what, what, what this journey entails. Um, and yeah, it's, it's all about taking a proactive approach and an individual who's never been exposed to this type of information before, um, when they do it consistently is just a complete human upgrade in so many different ways. Yeah, that sounds incredible. I like that you're approaching things from a holistic standpoint. Um, I think it's amazing. So, I know you have to run soon. I want to thank you uh, for coming on, but I want to give you a chance to kind of plug yourself of if people want to follow you, where they can find you, if they want to work with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my main platform is TikTok. You can find me on TikTok at Stop Drinking Coach is the handle. Um, you can visit my website, www.thestopdrinkingcoach.com. 
I've also got a great podcast. It's on Spotify and Apple. It's called The Stop Drinking Coach. I think if you just type in Stop Drinking, I'm one of the first ones that pop up. And um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram as well at The Stop Drinking Coach. And yeah, I've also got a YouTube channel, The Stop Drinking Coach. I'm now uploading all my podcasts via video onto there. Um, and I'll probably pop up on some other social media channels here soon as I push out more. I just hired on a social media manager, but yeah, main, oh. main platforms are TikTok and um, my podcast. Very cool. Well, I'll leave all that in the description so you guys can go ahead and follow him and check him out. Uh, Bardia, thank you again for coming on. I really enjoyed this uh, chat. I think a lot of people are going to find this helpful. Yeah, likewise, Haley. Thanks for having me on. Maybe we can do a part two sometime. Yeah, definitely. Definitely.